0: You are tuned in to the Sparkles and Fairy Lights Podcast. Imogen Campbell is your host. Welcome back to episode 12 of this, the second season of the Sparkles and Fairy Lights Podcast. As you are well aware, King Charles III was officially and regally crowned king in all his glory and power this past Saturday. In the light of all things balance, I will tread a fine line between the loyal royalists on the one hand versus the detractors and anti-monarchists on the other to give you my middling take on this who cares and why you might ask well i found myself pondering on the life and reign of another great king a few days ago the world witnessed the spectacle of a once-in-a-generation investiture ceremony of pomp and pageantry that kept what has arguably been a rather tumultuous year for the royals. Bespoke couture outfits befitting royalty were on full display, while intricate headpieces and crowns, though not quite dime a dozen, donned royal heads in an extraordinary exhibition of tradition. Her Royal Highness Catherine, Princess of Wales' arresting headpiece of silver bullion crystal and intricate silver thread work was as unexpected as it was uniquely dazzling. The Prince and Princess of Wales and other members of the Royal Family all bedecked in formal regalia with robes and mantles were a reflection of the spuffy, a rather rarefied splendor and grandeur of the occasion. One understood that it was a coronation, an event of immense importance. King Charles, of course, to continue serving the country, a refrain echoed by Prince William later at the Coronation concert, that King Charles's would continue to be a life of public service. Whether this is your cup of tea or not, it never fails to remind me of just how exceptional the Brits are on delivering on the global stage. It is a national source of pride, and their real-time execution is truly second to none. I marvel at it all. The outstanding effort, the meticulous planning and the time spent poring over the minutiae in order to ensure success marked by the highest of standards, it appeals to me no end. My heart revels in that kind of precision, perhaps because it could be described as a disproportionate love of order, since I seem to fall so far short. However, it was modeled so beautifully by a nation I admire precisely for being such sticklers for tradition, and I for one sincerely appreciate their culture no end with its inordinate, surfeit even, attention to detail. The English language, after all, has held me spellbound for as long as I can remember, and customs learned along the way have shaped me as a person. In the minds of some, this was an archaic tradition and would regard it as being out of touch with modern life, yes, the curtains of history were certainly drawn back somewhat, the annals of time vividly rewound as London came quixotically alive, awash with remnants of the past, beckoning us back to a different era. I mean, gilded carriages? Where else would we see it in its splendour today? A museum? This rare glimpse into yesteryear reveals some of the traditions that people have long held dear, and helped to lend expression to British pride and what it was that defined them as century English. What inspired and stirred the hearts of men and women in years past, who would so skillfully pen the poems, books and dramas that still inspire today. I was astounded to discover. The intricate detailing of the three-dimensional embroidery of the Princess of Wales's headpiece that featured rose, thistle, daffodil and shamrock motifs, symbolizing the four nations that make up the United Kingdom. What incredible foresight it was, as well as an indefatigable expression of inclusivity and more than a nod to attention to detail and a shared history and destiny. A visual embodiment of a nation's past woven into the very fabric of modernity, perhaps signifying that the heartbeat of the nation had not changed. In the run-up to the coronation, a call for public allegiance was made, and it became a sore point of contention. Some felt that King Charles III was most definitely not their king, and anti-monarchists made their voices heard while Royalists and pro-monarchy supporters expressed their devotion. Being South African, I most certainly need not enter the fray. But it got me thinking about swearing allegiance to a king, and I started to reflect on the king of kings. I had always wondered about the mechanics of a public declaration. It's a necessity, especially in relation to the passage in Romans 10, verse 9 to 10, which I quote as follows. We go if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Somehow, a public declaration of allegiance clicked in my mind like never before perhaps strengthening my conviction that having traditions that may appear archaic have a place in modern society if it helps us to understand aspects of our faith and history better i clearly remember the day i added my voice to those of saints past who had also made their good confession over the millennia and confessed that jesus is lord it was at my baptism after scouring my heart clean of sin that hindered as revealed by rigorous bible study only then was I finally able to make the public declaration of faith and confess allegiance to my God. Saturday's coronation further awakened thoughts about a king who had earlier walked our planet very much unnoticed and uncelebrated. The differences between the two kings are stark. One, the newly venerated king, lives in palatial spaces. The other is described in Luke 9 verse 58 as follows. Jesus replied. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. End of quote. Jesus too pledged to live a life of de- a life dedicated to service. I must admit that it looked a whole lot different to that of the new monarch. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, came to serve mankind in a way that was literally out of this world. A man described. As a man of sorrows in isaiah 53 verse 3 the english standard version records it as follows he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hid their faces he was despised and we esteemed him not while the new international version puts it like this he was despised and rejected by mankind a man of suffering and familiar with pain Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. King Charles III is largely fated wherever he goes, despite the few instances when he had been pelted with eggs recently, and the faux assassination attempt in Australia in the 90s. But by comparison, the King of Kings endured being brutally murdered by crucifixion. Just in case there are any misunderstandings, I wish King Charles III no ill will, At 74, the monarch has surely enjoyed uncounted pleasures and blessings. The Lord of Lords, though in comparison, had his life cut tragically short. On this side of eternity, one king still feels he has something to give to his people. The other hand, the other said, it is finished. As he breathed out his last on the cross that ill-fated Friday, that same event, and resurrection in swift succession, changed my life and trajectory for eternity. Saturday's coronation, though majestic, I admit, has left me in awe and inspired me to write, not unlike others who lived in and once traversed the beautiful shores of England. But in all probability, I will never get to meet the man, King Charles III. But Jesus, him, I've had the eternal privilege of meeting in the word of God, which Revelation 19 verse 13 describes Jesus as being. Reading the word has helped me to encounter this God-man in a unique manner, a life-saving encounter, if ever there was one. Yes, I don't have a picture or a sparkly memento to mark the occasion of us meeting, but his word is written on my heart. And every day, I consider the way I live and model it after the life of Jesus. After all, he said, follow me. Philippians 1, 27 to 28 further implores me to live appropriately, and I quote it for you. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you, or only hear about you in my absence. I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Meeting Jesus had certainly turned my life right side up, because Jesus, you see, is simply divine. King Charles, on the other hand, is but mere mortal, and though I would undoubtedly be starstruck and gauche as any teenager with a crush, I would probably not model my life after his. I know he is a man who, like the rest of us, has made some mistakes, and notwithstanding his foibles, It was heartening to see his expression of emotion underscoring his humanity and enduring him to many this past weekend. King Charles III has a wayward son too. Perhaps Prince Harry, feeling misunderstood for years, has battled to adequately express himself and it has all become rather messy. But I'll give him the benefit of the doubt at this point. Don't we all need that sometimes? Strikingly, there is a similarity to God, the father here. He too has a few wayward children. Long-suffering is how God is described. However, in Jesus, we see a beloved son who does everything and says only what the Father has told him to. God the Father can relate to all of mankind in that he had his heart broken when his son was pierced for our transgressions. Jesus willingly put his life on the line for you and for me. King Charles III holds the title of Defender of the Faith and Supreme Governor of the Church of England. But even his heart has been pierced by developments with his sons in recent times. Unless I forget diamonds. How can I? It's a coronation after all. Controversy also reared its ugly head. As a South African, there were the expected rumblings about the Cullinan diamonds that stole the show. Yes, stealing came up in more ways than one. The magnificent and aptly named Great Star of Africa featured in the scepter, while the splendid imperial state crown was exactly that, splendid. That these were indeed splendidly beautiful and precious, nobody would deny. The crown that adorned the head of our Lord Jesus, not so much. Zero splendor to be found on his head. His was woven from indigenous thorns with the intent of inflicting pain, and his blood was shed by this punitive mockery of a coronation. Pomp and splendor, nowhere in sight. As for royal garb, regalia and finery, in the case of King Charles, compared to the man eventually dubbed King of the Jews by Pontius Pilate, who had a robe, scarlet or purple in color, depending on the narrator, mockingly alluded to his royal attribution and accusation. It was a mockery, like none other. Royal vestments could not have been more different in the earthly realm, but the Jesus who will make his way back will also wear a blood soaked robe, lest we forget, but this time. Nobody is going to mock him. The territory that comprises King Charles III's reign is clearly demarcated, and I referred to these earlier. Jesus, on the other hand, has a spiritual kingdom quite out of this world. John 18, verse 36 reiterates that Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. I'll quote it for you, which says, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Revelations 19 verse 13 to 16 describes his kingship as follows. Also notice the robe. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron sceptre. He treads the winepress of fury, of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Oh, what gallant, regal imagery is depicted here! My heart cannot fully comprehend, but my hope is that someday I will. Jesus like King Charles has a sceptre and he is destined to rule I was intrigued to see how King Charles III's coronation proved to be such a catalyst for discovery about this and that concepts that may have seemed abstract became so vivid to me a definite plus I would hardly have anticipated had the coronation not rolled around months of planning in the works king charles iii had dignitaries clergy and honored members of society present to witness his coronation yes outside the abbey some made their disfavor known but the invited guests inside witnessed a prestigious coronation that day when the block with the words jesus king of the jews was placed above jesus's head he found himself surrounded by two criminals, roman soldiers few supporters and a mob, some even of the religious order of the day, which hurled insults at him. Hours before, Pontius Pilate had the following done as per John 19, verse 19, I quote, Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, End quote. During the preceding cross-examination that Jesus was forced to undergo, at the hands of Pilate, Jesus made the good confession. That he was Lord. It is his confession that Christians through the ages continue to make as they accept him as their Lord and Saviour. The notion of the good confession is recorded for us in 1st Timothy 6 verse 13 to 15 as follows. I'll quote again. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and to Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There was evidence that Jesus was special as he walked in our world. Men and women were transfixed in his presence and transformed as a result of meeting him. He asked those who knew his true identity not to reveal it. Yet miracles of epic proportions and people healed were the order of the day. Only once did he allow the fact that he was the Messiah to be proclaimed. Yes, a marvelous day preceded that excruciating, somber Friday, a vibrant, pulsating Palm Sunday. It was a day when the situation had appeared vastly different. The prophecy of Israel's Messiah coming was widely acknowledged. It was the one time that Jesus came into Jerusalem on a donkey and was acknowledged as a king and did not from refrain from being so known. And yes, that day, he said if a man did, did not proclaim him as a king, The stones certainly would. In my mind, there is a newfound place for publicly declaring one's allegiance out loud. It makes sense to me now. It is recorded for us in Luke 19, 35 to 42 as follows. I'll read. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord peace in heaven and glory in the highest some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus teacher rebuke your disciples I tell you he replied if they keep quiet the stones will cry out end of quote I cannot resist comparing Jesus' ride for his most auspicious regally acknowledged day on the planet the lowly donkey to King Charles III's gilded carriage, drawn by the finest divorces. The cult, by modern human standards, cannot hold a candle to the carriage in all its opulent extravagance. Yet, I'm so glad that the God who humbled himself to make his abode among humans, among those who lived in the back quarters of Nazareth and beyond, would also come for lowly old me. And in a way, that would not leave me intimidated. No, in every way, he was as relatable as they come. Am I bashing King Charles III? No. Someday, Jesus will come from his heavenly abode and all its grand splendor, where he has prepared a place for us. King Charles III's earthly display of wealth helps me me to see, in part, a place where gold will be on the pavement. In addition, Saturday's newly crowned king reigns over the country whose royal crest is represented by three lions. I acknowledge that on that Friday, two millennia ago, there was a bogus proclamation of a king and a mock coronation. But the day is coming when our Lord will come back roaring as the great king that he is, the Lion of Judah. Revelation twenty-two twelve 12 to 14 promises us this. And I'm going to read it quickly. Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they've done I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. I put it to you that there is a king who came to live among us, a powerful king, mighty in power, who knows the highs and lows of all that it means to be human, yet had no sin. Bless his heart. King Charles III was muffed by a licky pen at the start of his kingly reign. His humanity clearly on display. He too, even though King, is in need of the Saviour who is able to reward us for what we have done and has a place prepared for each one of us for eternity. That is what the Bible says in John 14, 1-4, and I just want to quote that to you. We're nearly at the end. It says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I not, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. That you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Isn't that just the best news ever? Whatever our earthly circumstances, in Jesus, we will have a new home living next to other privileged neighbors. And the person who created it all, well, he made the world, the universe, and everything in it. Diamonds, pearls, gold, the most precious of stones, all those are liberally sprinkled all over that kingdom. I'm compelled to sing praise and say, all hail the King. This is our end today's podcast. Next week, we tackle a difficult topic forgiveness. I hope that you'll join me for that one. Until then, thank you. Thank you for lending an ear. If you are new, consider subscribing. And if you feel inclined, please leave a review or let me know your thoughts on Facebook or Twitter.